0: Hi, I'm Joe Taylor, MD of Let's Talk Talent, and I want to welcome you to the Let's Talk Talent podcast. Let's Talk Talent's aim and purpose is to make organizations simply irresistible by unlocking the potential in people. And this episode 6 in our podcast series is going to be discussing hybrid working and how we can reinvent work. Now, some of you who may have listened to our podcast before will know Kirsty Um, I'm really excited to welcome her back to the LTT podcast. And those of you that don't know Kirsty, she's a great friend of mine, but also is an absolute amazing star. She's a workplace strategist and founder of Shape Work Life, a consulting firm that specializes in co-creating the best places to work. She also, when she's not doing all of that, advises companies across a range of sectors, including financial services, to help businesses shape the future of Workspaces. She's also a postgraduate professor and author of two books on workplace strategy and has a podcast series called The Office Chronicles, which explores the impact of COVID-19 on workplaces. So hi, Kirsty, how are you doing? I'm very well today, Jo. How are you? I'm really good and I'm excited to Mm. have a matter with you for the next sort of um, 20, 25 minutes if you want. Yeah, me too.
1: Definitely. I've got a nice cup of tea here
0: ready to go. Awesome. So let's start with a bit of a doozy, because when we think about hybrid working, I don't know about you, but I've seen so many papers over the last couple of weeks, and I can't quite get my head around what is hybrid working and what is in it. So would you lay out what you think it is?
1: Oh my god! You can't move from the word hybrid at the moment, can you? It's um, it's wow. incredible. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, before COVID, hybrid was a car, you know. Now it's like it's to do with with, with work. <laughs> Hybrid working is—it's a model. It's the name for a model that embraces and supports people working across um, different places and times. And there are a number of different ways you you can approach it. Now, what I think people have done wrong is they've just taken this name hybrid and assumed that there is just one right way of doing it, and it isn't. Effectively, it's just a combination of working on site or in your kind of office or your your hub, whatever you want to call it, your HQ, and also working remotely remotely from that space. There can also be situations where you're working offsite, travelling or in third spaces, but it's really just something that embraces all of those different scenarios for working. And as I said, it's, it's both time and place.
0: So do you think we can finally get rid of the mantra of virtual working and flexible working? Is hybrid now you know the kind of reinvention of work
1: hybrid is really a label that is allowing us to explore this new way of working i think because traditionally we had teleworking or we had virtual working we had remote working and now i think what is happening is um, in the world of work we are exploring how to better support a more holistic approach to work and in, in a way that that benefits the employee, but also makes sense for the employer as well. And I think this is where the big head scratching is happening at the yeah. moment. You know, organizations are really going, okay, how is this actually going to work? Yes, I get it. I get the working from home is not any beneficial for lots of people, but there are downsides to it too, um, both at an individual team and organizational level. So I think really that's what it's all about. So if we go back to the dictionary definition of what hybrid working is, it's effectively the different modes of place and time and just trying to figure out how that's going to work for an organisation.
0: Because it's really interesting because I was looking yesterday, I was talking to um, an HR director at Bupa. And they've just published a paper around the the way that they want people to think about work. And they kind of looked at it from a leadership perspective. They've looked at it, as you said, from a time and place perspective, Hmm. but they're still going about it. And I've talked to a lot of HRDs over the last couple of weeks from a sort of consultation process perspective, which for me feels completely wrong because actually you'll then sort of in a way putting rules around something that should be much more um, agile. I mean, yeah, have you seen that in some of you, you know, your clients and, and uh, people that you've been talking to?
1: Yeah, 100%. I think the big misnomer that I've seen, the big thing that people are doing that I think is just... go it, it's, it's tail wagging dog. And that is starting from the policies, starting from the well, how many days exactly are they going to be on site? And which days are they going to be on site? As opposed to stepping back and saying, what is the best way of working? This is an opportunity for us to say, how do we work best as an organization now knowing that we have these alternative places and times that we can, and a kind of synchronicity that we can be um, using to benefit the performance of, of people and teams. So, yeah, I think I've 100% seen that. And I think, yeah, the the real kind of mistakes that I'm seeing organizations make is starting at that policy-driven level. Um, and the consultation is fine, but that is not going to give you the answers. It's a bit like the Henry Ford quote, which is, you know, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said a, a faster horse um, right. when he was inventing the car. They don't really know what they don't know. And you've got this coupled with a very, very highly emotionally charged situation that people are in right now, Mm. um, which is very different to the emotionally charged situation that people were in six months ago, this um, past 12 plus months, has seen all sorts of pendulum swings from working from home is, is the panacea, it's the thing that's going to change the world to, oh my God, working from home absolutely sucks because I've got Zoom fatigue and I miss people. Yeah. So asking people what they want right now is really, really difficult. It's absolutely essential that you don't take that as, as the gospel, but it's really difficult for people to project into what might be. So I think that's only just part of the picture.
0: I think you're right. The the worry that I have from a kind of human centric perspective is that you could end up creating two tiers.
1: Oh, yes. So
0: so there's certain roles. So, you know, you look at, say, customer service or retail, for example, where you can't do that from home. Mm. And the danger is that you create two tiers of communities. You know, those people that are in, those people that are not, you don't create that, you know, team, that synergy, that collaboration you kind of have a leadership question don't you around how leaders actually manage in that space you know what's quite interesting is that people are seeking those answers but in a way we've kind of got to go through it like we did with covid mm. you know there were people struggling for years about trying to get a good percentage of people working flexibly and freeing up real estate and oh, no, that job can't be done. And, it's, and COVID has kind of disproved that. Mm. How do you think we should be looking at it? I mean, you talked about time and place. And, mm. you know, there's obviously the social health aspect. But how do we stop it becoming two-tier and actually just the norm rather than something new all the time?
1: Yeah, that's really good. And I love the way you said people are asking for, you know, looking for the answer. I feel as if people are looking for, they want this kind of multiple choice answer thing, you know, where they can just pick, tick, just tell me which is the right box to tick. And I think that it's that mindset that is creating the, the potential for the two tier. Because actually, if you are, able to approach the discovery of what's next for your organization, given the experiences that you as an organization and your people have had, then that's a very, very different approach to tell me what the answer is for hybrid working. Um, Because also what you find is that it's so much more complex. The experience that we have gone through is is quite complex. We've all gone through a massive, massive work from home experiment, but we've all had different experiences, Um, you know, depending on the role that you're in and the service, the the service that you play in the organization, depending on your own personal circumstances, depending on um, your seniority within the organization. And so without really understanding the tapestry or the patchwork of of your organization, you are in danger of just creating some kind of very inflexible model that has at best is short lived at worst can actually damage the um, productivity and the culture of your organization. So I would say something else that just on on the back of what you were saying about two tier, you know, the people who might be in a more frontline service position. Um, and they're on they're on site right so clearly they are kind of you know they're not working from home but yes. there's also the flip to that in that there's a there's been quite a lot of research done around it prior to the pandemic and then since also that shows that you are much more likely to have a promotion if you are on site. It's kind of yeah. out of sight, out of mind. So actually yeah. your your potential for forming stronger relationships and being seen in the organization Absolutely. is is greater if you're on site. So I don't think it's, it's a, you know, a case of a, a duality of it's one or the other. Mm-hmm. I think it's much more, there's very much more lots of shades of gray in between. And so that's why it's important to approach it with um, I, an experimental uh, mindset and, you know, are really curious to understand what's best for, you know, the organisation that you're in.
0: I think there's 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 definitely a leadership question, isn't there? Mm. About how leaders become role models for this.
1: Oh my goodness, yeah.
0: Um, yeah. And, you know, that you talked about Zoom fatigue and that kind of always on. I definitely think, I think you told me this, there was the working day has got 45 minutes longer. Mm. Um, there's like... Uh, you know, 10 million or 10 billion, I can't remember the exact number, but who are on Zoom and Teams. Mm. You know, I definitely have found days even now with clients where I'll be on meetings from 8 in the morning till 6 mm-hmm. um, at night and and more and more tired than if I was traveling to see a couple of people
1: mm, absolutely because you're not getting any stimulation you're not getting you're not moving your body you're yeah. not you know yeah. you are you are experiencing a, a screen for that huge period of time what was that 10 hours or so and you're and you're not moving whereas when you are you know when you're going from a meeting room to a meeting room or traveling to to go and 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 meet or do some work then you're experiencing all sorts of different sights and sounds and experiences you're moving your body I mean it's just at the most basic fundamental human level it's it's really really draining and I think um, again there's been more more studies done around the cognitive drain of being on zoom calls all day you just don't get that kind of Energy back from the no. interactions that you have with with other people face to face, not to mention, and and this is something that will go away anyway in the world of hybrid. Because the fact of the matter is, as I said before, we you know we are in a very very strange situation whereby you know in lockdown, having to work from home with yes. no other choice, um, you know you've got the same four walls. I'm seeing some people really even in some of my clients it's really nice. We're kind of experimenting with just being in a slightly different place to the last time that we saw each other. (laughs) It's like, you know, getting to know each other's uh, uh, environments a little bit more, but, um, you know, just to mix it up a bit.
0: Well, I think you're right. I think there's definitely been some brilliant things. Personalization has definitely changed. You feel like you get to know people on a deeper level because they're letting you into their life. And some of the, I suppose, the corporateness disappeared you know people are sitting there in their sweatpants and they're you know just being a little bit more relaxed so i think i'm really hopeful i'm always an optimist that i don't think we can't go back so we won't be going back Mm. but i'm also a realist in thinking about how we as consultants who have a passion for kind of you know making organizations really come alive our kind of role And I've been playing with it in my mind and I've been thinking about, is there things that we can learn from consumer, you know, sort of some consumer language around Mm -hmm. sort of customer journeys or persona mapping in understanding not only the space need, but the the actual psychological contract. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that this is, this is, this is the stuff I love. I mean, I I've been working with mapping out employee experiences through work for, for quite a long time. And what I've found is that I started out by doing by, you know, you know, this Joe, my, my background is um, design thinking um, and so, you know, in innovation. So this is, so really kind of moving into the space of, of workplace. I was just bringing all of those tools and, you know, in terms of ethnography and customer experience, mapping, et cetera. And so I started doing that a while back to kind of say, well, what is the experience that we want our employees to have and our visitors to have and the people who enter a building to have? What I found pretty quickly was actually I was much more interested in everything, not just the building, you know, how people work and how they interact, because you've got those other it's not just the um, the physicality, it's, yeah. the, it's the experience, it's the cultural experience. It's yeah. also the cognitive places where people think better or interact better. So there are some fantastic tools that are out there that we can use to really step into the shoes of the people that are delivering the business and find the best ways for them to be able to get their best work done and also to um, interact with each other. And I think, that's where i would be starting if okay. if you know if anyone came to me and said "What, well, where do i start that's where you start i don't think you start by going how many days do you want to be on site yeah. i also think you don't start by saying okay so what to, what technology do you need which which yeah. application do you need you know is it teams or zoom and yeah. you know because that's just that's
0: the tail process, wagging right it's it's the output you know i always talk about it what are your outcomes mm. we you want to change? From an emotional from a heart perspective and what do you want the output to be which is the kind of KPIs which is you know do we need to invest in zoom or are we going to go with teams or are we going to buy everybody a laptop but if most businesses start from the output because exactly it, because what is happening is that people are becoming obsessed around performance and output that someone's um, rather mm. thinking about how they're motivating mm. and measuring contribution in a different way, um, and that's going to really come to the fore more in um, hybrid working than when you're in the same office or you're in a little meeting room, or because it's it's much less tangible. But those things are going to be much more important to harness in a hybrid working environment than worrying about whether someone's you know working nine to five or whether it doesn't really matter that's just an output right
1: yeah yeah I, I, I love that and, and it, it aligns completely with the approach that I've always talked about when it comes to designing space because typically what happens is people design the space and then they go oh that looks good and then they just they kind of put people in it and then hope, <laughs> hope oh. to god that it works you know um, as opposed to I call it upside down or back to front thinking and design because you need to start with the, with the human, with the person and uh, what activities they need to perform, how they need to do it um, and what the experience they need to have. Then you wrap around the tools and the, and the physicality, if you like, the stuff that you can see it's the same philosophy that you're talking about here. And that is, you know, rather than trying to kind of jump to the answer, you need to um, understand, I I think a little bit more, you know, what it is the experience that people need to have in order to do their best work, because then the answers become very, very easy. They just, they just kind of present themselves. So for example, if you know, okay, so what does the hybrid work environment look like? You know, first of all, you need to know what your hybrid working model is. Um, How are you doing it? Are you, are you an organization that is going to be, is going to mandate everybody to be fully on site in which case you don't have a hybrid model you just have a little bit of you know flexi time and working fine that's that's fine if that works best for your organization then then great you know or are you going to be right at the other end of the spectrum which is fully remote you know uh, and and i i would i would wager that most organizations who have started from a place-based culture and they've built a place-based culture, they'll find it much more difficult to go fully remote Uh because by virtue of the fact that their ways of um, working, their operating system relies on that kind of physical Uh face-to-face interaction. If you did want to go fully remote, I think you really have to tear up the the rule book and start from scratch because there are all sorts of mechanisms and procedures and ways of working that you really do have to build in order to kind of make sure that collaboration works. That said, you can learn a lot from all remote companies. Um, They've done some great things around kind of building culture remotely. So, you know, work out, you know, what what that is in principle and why, and, you know, whether it's role-based, um, you know, people are going to be more or less on-site or off-site due to their role, whether it's team-based um, and whether, and then also layering on top of that is kind of personal preference as well and personal circumstances. You can quite quickly kind of understand how you are going to operate as an organization, having mapped out those different roles and personas um, and then and then you can say, right, what, where are those different areas, those spaces that people work? You've got the online space, you've got the offsite space, and you've got the onsite space. What are those like? How do people interact in those spaces? What do those experiences need to be in those spaces? And when it comes to the actual onsite space, which is the office or the hub, whatever you want to call it, then what do people come to that for? Why do people come there? Yeah. And that's when you can say, right, OK, we know, for example, in many of the clients I'm working with, a lot of people are, organ- are realizing that deep thinking, head down work gets done at home. And yeah. um, a lot of the, the reasons that people are coming together is for learning, for um, a cultural injection, for stimulation, for energy, for socialization, for mentoring, all of those you know, great yeah. things. But the spaces and the mechanisms that you need to design in that situation are very different to the traditional office. So that's what is super exciting that people are really, really switching on to the fact that they need to create these really magnetic, I like to call them magnetic, not mandated. You know, these are places that people are, you know, really drawn towards as opposed to being forced into. So that's what I think is super exciting about the time that we're going through now.
0: I think it's really interesting because I think people are going to have to change their value proposition quite heavily. You know, I look at it from a talent perspective mm. and I think that organizations that aren't ahead of the curve and aren't thinking about this are going to really struggle. Mm. In, you know, the the old adage of the McKinsey paper on the war for talent, mm. you know, it's never really gone away, even mm. though that paper's, God, I think about 15, 20 years old now. Yeah. but. It's both generational, it's um, environmental, it's global. It's, it's sort of, you know, you and I, when we were planning this podcast, we we're talking about it, it's actually reinventing work. And all the conversations that we've ever had with clients and when we've worked in-house, well, we can't do that. Now all of that's kind of gone out the window. Yeah. But what's interesting in what you've been saying so far around, you know, time and place is the third angle, isn't it, around sort of social health. Mm-hmm. Because that seems to have really bubbled to the surface mm. and it's a part of that culture. And yeah. culture is always something that people want to define, but it's mm. much more, it's, it's much deeper. It's, it's, it's the ecosystem ultimately, mm. but how social health is going to play a part in attracting and retaining talent is going to be hugely important. I mean, what are you seeing or am I over exaggerating it from a people? Oh, no,
1: no, absolutely. And you know, and just to kind of under underline that. So the term social health, I think was coined by I think she coined it, but the paper that you and I've have, have read called the Nowhere Office, which is super. and it actually I've learned since that the author of that Julia Hobsbawm, she is writing a book about it. She also wrote a couple of books. One's called The Simplicity Principle, and one is called I can't remember the title, but it's a, sure, yeah. it about how to deal with overload in a, in a completely overconnected world. And what's really interesting about her position on this is that she she worked with the WHO and she talked about social health as being one of the most important things, you know, in the next you know ten years. And because as human beings, we are absolutely hardwired to connect. And what we've found through this past year is that we've been disconnected. And that's really, really hard Taken its toll on lots of people's um, mental health, isolation, loneliness, you know, all sorts of real problems that have come out of this kind of disconnection. But interesting, again, there's this um, other end of the spectrum around connection that's human connection we've also had the extreme of like hyper tech connection you know we've been you know that whole thing about being um on zoom you know for 10 hours a day but yeah so so social health is everything from the connections that we have with people how we are interacting with people it's also down to individual health as well so you know well-being is, is a huge part of it but i think we can't un-experience the last twelve months,
0: right? We learn from it, right? We have to. I think we should. Yeah. we have to learn from it and and realise that you know we were we were self-isolating, you know, because Dave, because Dave was ill, and I wouldn't I wouldn't go back and change a thing because I got to have an amazing nine months of being in the same space as my husband. That was hugely defining because he died in January, but I wouldn't go back and give that up for the world. And I don't feel sad because of that, because I I was given a gift. Mm. But I know that a lot of other people who, you know, maybe younger than me, who were in flats in London or student, you know, have kind of missed out on a huge experience. So it's, it's affected everything. And therefore we need to learn from it, but we also don't want to replicate and, and try and completely, I you know, erase it from history. Because yeah. It is seminal in my working life um, and a lot of people's working life who are listening to this. And that in some ways needs to be treasured, but also, as you've said, understood and taken the good bits, but also to lose some of the bad habits. Like yeah. Not finding the time for connection, you know, having that hybrid, mm. you know, that balance. That's right. That's right.
1: You say, you know, you're talking about the generations as well and how, you know, is this an important time for social health? I think, yeah, absolutely, more than ever. For those, for the reasons that you've just described, yeah, 100%. And I think the, the, the phrase that came to mind when I was hearing you talk just then was, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bath water. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's there's so many things that, that 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 do work that we make sure that we take forward. You're absolutely right. We We have got to learn and that's why I think, i think the reason people say you know the future is hybrid is just because the future is definitely different to how it's been in the past
0: love it so before we kind of finish maybe you could give our listeners maybe three tips say we're going to get started i know i'm giving you a limit (laughs) Kirsty. what are your top tips um if people want to know more or they you know don't know where to start where would you suggest the actually spend their time thinking about that sort of hybrid question that we pose today i think
1: it's really really important to start with getting really clear on the vision that you have for your workplace and when i talk about workplace it's not just your office right it's like what is the environment or the environments that people are going to be in and i'm getting really clear on it and why why do it? it and don't just kind of jump on the hybrid bandwagon and making sure that you're really clear about who's on board because, okay, maybe this is kind of over elaborating, but you just have to look at the the Goldman Sachs and the BlackRock oh. situation whereby, you know, that was all about let's sell all the, <laughs> let's sell all the, all, all the offices because we can make loads of money on real estate. Oh, no, wait, no, let's everybody put, everybody has to go back. I mean, that kind of control and command so ego. style. So oh, ego my goodness. ego
0: driven. It, yeah. Yeah. it was sad to watch, but you're right. But it is individual to that business, which yeah. I think is important to note, to remember, right?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And this goes back to your point about, you know, the Gen Y, Gen Z are just not going to, not going to kind of, it's not going to fly gonna, for them.
0: They're going to walk. They're
1: absolutely. Gonna... Absolutely. And and so I think it's really important for you as an organization to get really clear on what is the vision and why you're doing it and making sure that you're really aligned about it. And because then, then you can start to define the path forward. And then I think I would say, that's top. That's tip number one. <laughs> and then I would say, spend some time really just understanding those different axes of time and place. What can, should, can't, won't be done, either co-located or remote, alone, together, synchronously, asynchronously, because that's really interesting. There's, you know Lots of people have learned that actually, we don't have to work on the same thing at the same time. We can pass the baton backwards and forwards and get things done in a much more efficient way what things need to be controlled and what things can free flow and be a bit more flexible. So if you can understand that around the way you do work, then you've got a ton of information around how you can start to define new ways of working. The third thing I would say is just define a model that really suits your organizational context. We've said that before, but it's just, you know, making sure that it's, it's for you and it's not for, you know, just because you've seen it in some HBR article.
0: I totally agree with you. I mean, the only thing that I would add is, and a plea to the HR people Mm -hmm. that are listening to this, is let's think about this from a people perspective, not from a process perspective. Think about your outcomes. How do you build trust? How are you listening? How are your leaders role modeling? You know, think about it from a real people perspective. Mm. Get your managers completely aligned. And if that means giving them some support, then do that. And then think about the process because the process will come once you understand your people, Mm. not the the other way around.
1: Yeah, I I would say absolutely. And I I really do think that don't underestimate the amount of support that people are going to need. You know, sometimes I think that they probably needed it before anyway. um, This is just a time to really give them a bit more support and that you're only going to become a better employer for that reason.
0: I totally agree with you. But anyone that's listening to this um, as an HR leader and you want support then please feel free to get in touch with myself through the Let's Talk Talent website, or we will make sure that on the link to this podcast that we also have Kirsty's. So if you're looking at this from a workspace perspective, then absolutely please do reach out to Kirsty and I. Because as I said at the top, our missions in life is to create simply irresistible organizations. We come at it from different perspectives, but ultimately we have a huge amount of synergy because ultimately we believe people are with purpose are critical in driving the reinvention of work. So hope this has been really, really useful. And we, as always, I love talking to Kirsty. We could go on forever and ever. I know. (laughs) I I love it. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. And please uh, tune in to the next podcast. Thank you.